1: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning
2: Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you on August the 3rd, uh, 2021, from New York City. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows of the Voice America Business Channel. And also, want to ask you, uh, invite you to send along whatever comments you have. About this show to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors this week. Uh, our show is possible because of Novo Resources, El Oro Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., NV Gold Corp., and Firefox Gold. I've titled today's show, The Fed's Fast Approaching Dilemma and Yours. Alistair McLeod, Dr. Quentin Henning, and Michael Oliver return this week. On July 22nd, Alistair wrote in his weekly newsletter, he wrote, and I quote, The problem fast approaching all major central banks is that a rise in interest rates will be brought forward by their misjudgment on price inflation, a development which will directly challenge the policies of deploying QE to support financial markets and sustain confidence in the economy. And with the end of zero official interest rates, to continue support for financial assets requires an increase in quantitative easing to compensate. In other words, the money being fed to investing institutions will have to be supplemented to prevent risk assets falling in value. End of quote. Well, Alistair believes we are in that we are really on the eve of a massive currency destruction that mirrors that of the French livre when it uh, th- that resulted when it was increased to support the Mississippi bubble, the Mississippi company, I should say, and what was the greatest bubble of that day. So uh, this is indeed, I think, very similar to what uh, is happening now, when Alan, starting with Alan Greenspan, actually, back after the 1987 stock market crash, in which he started to support asset prices by printing money. No different, really, uh, according to Alistair, than what happened back in 1720 with the Mississippi bubble. So the printing of Libra to keep the shares of the Mississippi Company elevated resulted in massive inflation, and so not only were the shares of fish artificially priced above their intrinsic value, but at the same time, the Libra, the currency of France, was losing its purchasing power, and then it did so uh, almost exponentially. Now the Fed, as I, uh, as our Alistair will argue, is doing much the same thing. So we'll hear what Alistair has to say, and there actually was somebody that could see what was coming back in uh, with the Mississippi bubble, and that was uh, an economist named Richard Cantillon. And uh, he was able to exit and get out in time and made an absolute fortune uh, by foreseeing what was headed their way. In fact, what he did was sell all his shares in the Mississippi company uh, for, uh, for Livre, of course, and then took his Livre and bought British pound sterling, which was backed by gold. So essentially, he traded in his Mississippi uh, company shares for gold. And uh, Alistair, again, we'll have him on to talk about the similarities he sees, almost the duplicate uh, situation in some ways to what went on at that time. In the second segment of today's show, Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me to talk about an, an amazing gold exploration story that is unfolding for Lion One shareholders. Um, the proof of concept that Dr. Quentin Henning talked about, an alkaline gold deposit, which are amongst the largest and highest grade uh, kind of gold deposits in the world, really does seem to be unfolding. So. Dr. Henning will talk to us in the second segment. They just put out some blockbuster assays last week. Uh, the market sort of yawned, and I think it's time really people need to pay attention to what's going on because I think I believe that something very significant is starting to unfold there uh, for, that, uh, for the 2v2 project of Lion1. But right now I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again. It's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com. Go there to learn more about Michael's uh, excellent work is uh, structural, uh, and is a momentum in structural work that really is uh, his proprietary uh, model that has worked extremely well from my perspective, and always glad to have him with us. Thanks for joining us again,
3: Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back.
2: Always good to have you with us. And I want to ask you—you—you uh, you, you talked about something about the side windows. Now, I know this last week you also put out—you're uh, sort of on, I think, on a monthly basis. You sort of put out guidance in terms of the various markets key areas that people should be watching and so forth, uh, one of the areas that you talked about were treasuries, um, I think you, you talked about the US treasuries and you also focused on the dollar, maybe we could start out by commenting on those two markets where you think we're at now because again today we're talking about what Alistair McLeod thinks is uh, the potential for a shaky dollar uh, at best, uh, so what are your comments about the US treasuries and the dollar markets?
3: Well, the, the longer end of the treasuries, let's say 10-year on out to 30, that's what we're looking at. Is uh, uh-huh. That's under less control by the Fed than, than the short-term stuff. And in March, when gold made its low at 1673, which we think was a V-low of the entire pullback, uh, T-bonds made a low, meaning it made high in e- high yields for reach then, but they're low price. And they both bottomed in March. Now, the bonds didn't come up off that low as quickly as gold did. Mm-hmm. So it came up in late April, early May, and surged over 1900. Um, but T-bonds have continued to advance, and we, we as we suspected, they would. And mm-hmm. it's not really uh, – too many people, when I watch financial channels and so forth talking about T-bonds, they, they try to get real sophisticated about, oh, there's a subtlety between this and that, and you mm-hmm. know, there's got to be a specific reason. And they're really confused by it because they can't understand why rates would drop in a – You know, high inflation environment, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Especially if the the Fed has been talking supposedly about tightening, you know, at some future date. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Nobody seems to understand that all the time. There's an ongoing investor preference shift underway, Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, may stay constant for a while, but it changes, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't always change because of some news story. Announcement by the Fed or a change mm-hmm. in a weather pattern or something. Uh-huh. Uh, investors, smart investors who've been around a while, you know, the Ray Dalios of the world, uh, uh-huh. are suspicious of the stock market because they see in it, in fact, inflation. That's <laughs> uh-huh. what we've had for a dozen years. The Fed has printed money, and instead of it going into commodities or price of bread or anything like that, it went into the stock market. And so mm-hmm. if you think there's not been inflation, throw up an S&P chart and take a look at it.
4: Mm-hmm. And then look
3: at an M2 chart as well. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, they're suspicious of it in terms of risk-reward. Now, these guys can't just dump their stock positions and go to commodities. You know, they don't operate that way. Mm-hmm. They, they manage huge funds, and they, they, they shift gently. Well, those gentle shifts can be reflected in things like T-bonds turning up. Mm-hmm. Why mm-hmm. T-bonds? Well, because they're safe. It's mm-hmm. cash. It's a place mm-hmm. to put it when you don't know where else to put it. Uh, mm-hmm. Why did Gold Bottom, at the same time in March, Six seventy three, and then shoot up a couple hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now it's still it's one hundred and forty off that low. Uh, Why did that occur? There wasn't a particular news story, but both of those alternative assets to the U.S. stock market, gold and and T bonds, turned up because Mm -hmm. probably there's an investor preference shift underway, and it's ongoing. Uh, if the stock market shows any wobble and we think it's, it's doing it and we think it's actually topping right now, uh, the evidence of that will be probably this quarter. Um, more and more money will, in turn, move out of stock category into other alternatives. And what's performing well? Well, T-bonds are, and they're safe, Into uh, the commodity markets and commodity-related stocks are performing well. So that's where it'll go. Uh, And so I think you'd need to look out of side mirrors at these markets you may not be in, like Uh, T-bonds. And also the dollar. the dollar, we think, is on the verge of of its next leg of collapse. Uh, its first one was in 2017. It went from $103.80 down to, oh, under 89. Did Mm it pretty rapidly. And then it rallied back up. But now it's, it's, what's it doing? It's laying there near the lows of the five-year range in the very low 90s. Right now it's around 92. Uh, but it's, it's been one of, the, in fact, the last seven months of this year, in 2021, has been one of the narrowest years in dollar history in terms of percent range. It's about mm-hmm. a three percent range. Mm-hmm. And everybody thinks every uptick and downtick is meaningful. And uh, actually what's going on, the market has been beat down to a level that the price guys are defending, and that's around the 90 level, dollar mm-hmm. index. And we think it's going to assault that level again soon. And when it does, we, this time it's not going to hold which mm. case we think you could get a violent downdraft into the 80s.
4: Mm. That kind of wow. move
3: in the dollar index is big. Yeah, sure. It will have wave effects. So mm. be watchful there, because uh, that will have a, a wind at the back of gold and silver.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to ask you now again, With we're seeing the commodities certainly are, are performing well. I think you watch the Bloomberg Commodity Index closely. I uh, you see your charts from time to time, and they're really looking strong. The commodity index is a the commodity complex overall has done it very well. Oil has been really strong of late, but we're not seeing the precious metals. It sort of seems like the precious metals should be leading the complex, it, it, given the massive amounts of money that's being uh, that's being created out of thin air to buy the treasuries and, and support the markets. You would think, uh, but again, I guess it's, as you say, investor preferences for whatever reasons.
3: Well, they, actually, if you stand back and look a little further back, Gold made its low in December 2015, just above mm-hmm.
0: 1,050.
3: Uh-huh. Uh, it retested, probe back toward that low, a low of 1,164 in the summer of 2018, got within 100 bucks or so of the 2015 low, and then mm-hmm. took off. Commodities mm-hmm. didn't take off till last November. Mm-hmm. So, in effect, gold is lead commodity, uh-huh. so is silver. Uh-huh. Uh, and now, yes, they've paused recently while the commodities are going up, but actually in the big swing of things, gold left its lows behind uh, way before the commodity complex uh, was reborn again, which was last November by our metrics. Um, and yes, they've performed very well over the last uh, nine months or so, commodities, while gold has mm-hmm. been in a congestion pullback phase and silver has been in a sideways phase. you mm-hmm. stand back and look at a silver chart, it's a range. Mm-hmm. Uh, the low end was twenty two bucks and that occurred six weeks after the high in July, August. Mm-hmm. Pulled back mm-hmm. to twenty two in September. And then since then's been living what? Yeah, a coin toss either side of twenty five bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's been holding steady. I think that steadiness in the metals is about to end, and I think we're about to break out upside again. We've got some mm-hmm. very specific numbers that we publish. And mm-hmm. uh, the numbers aren't far away, and we think the recent behavior of gold and silver After shrugging off that Fed nonsense, you know, in mid June, when everybody's like, "Oh, the Fed's going to raise rates on us," Uh, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, uh, they've shrugged that off pretty well, and I think they're poised now with a little bit further upside to trigger some numbers that should be pretty strong. Mm -hmm. In other words, the the tone should change pretty dramatically if you get to these numbers. All right. uh, In which case, they wake up again.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, uh, just a few seconds, thirty seconds or so left. Uh, That you mentioned, this equity market looks wobbly to you. Do you think we need to see the equity market start to tank or go down strongly before gold wakes up that and would, starts that getting would help?
3: Mixed? I think you probably will see that, uh, but again, uh, you know, it's not something that gold has to have. It obviously didn't have to have it at this point. Yeah, you know, sure. We're not at thousand dollar gold. We're eighteen hundred yeah. plus gold. Uh, and yet the stock market's higher than it was in two thousand and fifteen, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. we don't necessarily need to see that, but when you do see that, and even just a five or ten percent drop in the stock market will unnerve a lot of people yeah, it I will believe no that. doubt cause many asset managers to move more assets in the other mm-hmm. directions mm-hmm. so
2: righty well we 'll be on the lookout for it, and thanks again, Michael, for sharing your insights with our listeners it 's always appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you much, Jay. Good. Alrighty, okay. folks. So that we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Dr. Henning will be with us to talk about Lion One and their um, pretty amazing numbers that they just put out last week. So he'll be here to comment on that and much more. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Henning.
4: Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to FirefoxGold.com to subscribe for updates.
5: SK Mining Corp., trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB, is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates.
1: Welcome
2: back to Turning Hard Times the Good Times. I'm your host Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Quentin Henning. He's here today to talk about Lion One Metals, their project, the Tutu project, the gold project in Fiji. Uh, before I say hello to Dr. Quentin Henning, let me just uh, mention Lion One trades uh, in Canada under the symbol LIO. It trades in the United States under the symbol LOMLF. 156.2 million shares outstanding. At about a dollar in U.S. money uh, per share, uh, Dr. Henning, as I said, Dr. Quentin Henning is also um, well. He is a an advisor to Lion One Metals. You've uh, you know him from a number of other companies that he is either directly involved with or has been uh, or has been an advisor to. It. So we're really glad to have him with us again. Thanks for joining us again, Quentin. Thank you, Jay. It's always good to have you with us, and I, I, especially when we see news like that news that just came out on the 26th of, the, of July. I mean, it was a mind-boggling 437 grams uh, over um, just a half a meter, but 437 grams of gold is just insane. So I want you to comment on that, but before we get to the latest drill results and what they might mean, I'd like you to talk a little bit about the economics of the deposit that they already have outlined, and, and this is a number of years ago, they actually did economics, so very robust economics, but albeit some, somewhat of a small, for less than a million ounces, which is considered kind of small these days for uh, given the economic requirements of putting a mine in production and so forth. But nonetheless, on an operating basis, very uh, robust. So along comes this notion, which I think you were at least partly responsible for, that this may be something much bigger, an alkaline deposit, and as you've explained before, These things can be absolutely enormous and they are company making, uh, deposits and projects. So what I'd like you to do is just maybe talk just briefly about the economic aspects of what they know they have, their current resource, which I think is less than 800,000 ounces, but probably eight to 10 grams per ton, something like that in that range. Uh, Talk about that first of all. How does, how does that look on a standalone basis, for example?
0: Yeah, look, uh, the, the company actually published a PEA, an updated PEA. Uh, I believe it was September of last year. It uh, it kind of went through and not too many people noticed, but it was an important PEA because it demonstrated this thing has ro- very robust economics. Uh, the grades are quite high. You know, look, uh, it's, it's a fairly narrow, I'm going to call it vein, but it's not really vein. We call them loads uh, because they're really a set of little fractures that, collectively constitute a structure that can be you know can likely be mined all right but uh this thing should generate a very high margin perhaps on the order of a thousand dollars an ounce at the current gold prices okay so this this is a robust project the company is currently uh laying plans they've talked several times now publicly about this they're laying plans for building a starter mine a starter processing facility uh, something, you know, modest, you know, the, the size hasn't been determined just yet, but I would say within the next couple of months, uh, the company will be able to talk about those plans in more detail. I know that there's a lot of work going on in the background mm-hmm. around those, and they have hired some new folks here recently. Uh, Patrick Hickey, for example, a good friend of mine who I've known for many years, uh, worked for Newmont, built uh, the Batu Hijau mine in Indonesia. He also worked for Sumitomo uh, and built – uh, the embodiment mine over in Madagascar. He uh, worked for Kinross. And other, he's got a long track record. Uh, Patrick knows how to build mines. And funny enough, he knows how to operate in islands too, which is, uh, is kind of a unique skill. But uh, he, he will do a fantastic job advancing this project. The other gentleman we brought on, Sergio Catalani, uh, an exploration geologist who's very well experienced in advanced stage projects. Uh, taking things like Tuvatu through uh, detailed infill drilling and and making them into mines. He His last uh, big push was uh, the Castle Mountain Deposit in California. Of course, that's going, or I think it might be in production now. I think so. Uh, yeah, but he drilled that out. So, you know, he's got that kind of, of credential. He worked for Cisco and, and other big companies uh, and has a long track record. So, you know, I, it's a delight to see this all starting to come together in terms of, of the production side, I'm still focused on the exploration side. And, uh, you know, what what we're doing, I think, is really changing the center of gravity of this project. You know, it, it was viewed as a small system, like you said, you know, a little under 800,000 ounces. High grade, which is great, but small, okay? Uh, we've kind of taken the blinders off, started drilling some deep holes underneath Tuvatu Guess what? We're finding very high-grade structures down there.
2: So yeah. it's, uh, it's starting to take on a new new shape. Yeah, high grade is uh, is an understatement when you come up with 437 grams or even a half a meter. Uh, and you've also, on the July 26th news release, you also had, wasn't just that spectacular high grade, you had a number of other intercepts that were also very strong grades. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that, and how does that fit in with previous uh, drilling that you've done since you viewed this as an alkaline? target uh, how is it taking shape your, your concept of an alkaline deposit and now it seems to me from all I've been following the story is it's sort of proof of concept that seems to be there uh, in terms of an alkaline deposit but yeah. talk to us about the significance of this last uh, report last sure. report and how that fits into
0: the bigger scheme of things okay let me let me talk a little bit about alkaline gold systems first of all I grew up uh, here in the Colorado area, and we have a number of alkaline gold systems in, in this state, and then all up and down the really the eastern margin of the Rocky Mountains. There's quite a few alkaline systems. I actually cut my teeth like when I was a kid. I used to go up and hunt the mine dumps up here uh, above my house. And guess what? You know, I learned how to identify weird minerals like this mineral called roscolite, which is a green mica that happens to be indicative of alkaline systems. Uh, okay, so I went to Tavatu. Yes, it was listed as epithermal uh, for many years, but when I first got there, you know, I, I laid sight on this core, and I could see Roscoe light. I could see all, all the bells and whistles, effectively that said this is an alkaline system. Okay, alkaline systems are are interesting because uh, in a in a hot spring system, usually your your gold zone is restricted to a, a certain level, like the boiling level within the hot spring, okay, and it might go down, maybe, you know, it could go down a few hundred meters, like three, 400 meters. Uh, in an alkaline system, they're different. They can go way down in the ground because these things form when uh, a magma body comes up from depth and it simply parts itself. This magma happens to have a lot of alkali metal in it. That's why they're called alkaline deposits. Anyway, this magma comes up, and usually underneath the volcano, okay, so it comes up. And then it starts to cool and crystallize. And as it does so, the, the metals that are incompatible, they can't fit in the crystals that are forming, they get flushed out. Mm-hmm. And what happens is they accumulate in the waters that are coming off the magma, and those get flushed up into the little fractures and stuff above. Okay, that's what produces these wonderful hygrids. Now, here's the complication. These things are like a spider web. Okay, they just, go, those fluids, they just find their way everywhere, you know, any nook and cranny, literally any nook and cranny. So you have to be very patient and methodical. But if you, if you use the knowledge that this system should have a very deep profile, because it is an alkaline system, you're, you're you know, you're halfway there. Okay, you have to buy into that model. Uh, we used a lot of techniques that are traditionally used for alkaline systems. Uh, using CSAMT, we identified gradients. We tested the gradients. Guess what? We hit high grade. Okay, so the drill hole that you mentioned, yes, that uh, very high grade intercept that was up higher, that's uh, amazing. Like, the, you know, the 0.6 meter, 200 and some odd gram, and then there was a 400 gram within that. That is one of the upper loads. It's up in the resource area, but the hole was actually uh, – it continued downward, and it tested – in this area where we hit high grade last year and we hit it again okay we hit uh 2.3 meters of a i think it was just under 56 grams uh, of gold very good result very stout vein very similar to what you see in a lot of alkaline systems you get high grade root feeder structures in poor grip they have the romani structure a little tiny vein these aren't big but they have a lot of gold in them okay and i think we're starting to see the evidence for that kind of a root structure gets better, though. We're also drilling a strike now. We're right. doing some deep holes up around Banana Creek and stuff, and we're going to start looking for more of these things. Okay, so these alkaline systems, again, you have to be patient, but usually when they latch on to these uh, root structures, like the, the main feeders of fluid, you can follow these things, and the systems grow and grow and grow.
2: I see in the news release, there was some, at least my understanding of it was there may be some lateral, um, maybe some feeder zones or something that might actually connect some of the other targets that you've identified on the system, the other kind of uh, similar targets that you, I guess, will be drilling from surface. So, Banana Creek being the one I think that's uh, three and a half or two and a half kilometers away. Uh, that's correct. So is there some potential, and do you see the potential for one, one or more of these deposits to sort of hook up together and at depth, uh, perhaps, the really, yes. really rich stuff?
0: Usually you find that it's, it's kind of like the, the branches of a tree, but it's, you know, it's planar features rather than, you know, tubular features. But you see the system start to connect, and as it gets deeper and deeper, you find that root structure. Okay, uh, I think we found it at Tuvate. I mean, basically, we're, we're on to it. As we go northward, what we're, we're doing there is like we know there's a lot of little veins at surface, a lot of anomalous gold, and even high-grade gold in places in veins at surface. We're going to drill some holes that c- undercut those veins, but we're also going to test the deep part. It's almost like we're cutting to the chase, okay? We're, we know now the system, how it behaves, Let's go ahead and test the deeper part of it. And that's part of the goal of Banana Creek is to find what could be a, an extension or, or perhaps a second uh, structure that, that's feeding the whole thing up there. And, you know, that's three and a half kilometers away. This is not, these aren't small. Like this is a big system. Uh, we'll work our way back, you know, towards Tuvatu, but I think ultimately the, the two will link up. They, they're formed from the same fluids. There's no question. Right.
2: So, well, the drill program this year, You'll, you'll be doing some of that drilling yet in this drill season at Banana Creek, and between Banana Creek and the existing deposit. Yes, yeah, so we have three prongs of exploration. We got the deep pro- program
0: that's really greenfield. I'll call it that's testing new targets all along the corridor. We've got uh, the the deep drilling underneath Tubatu. We've already demonstrated the roots there. Okay, so we're getting to the point where we're very comfortable with what we found there. But we also have the infill drilling in the, for the resource work that's being done so in advance of mine development. Okay, so really the company's uh, got three things going at once. It does have a lot of money in the bank, 58 million, I think, something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and so they have the ability to both advance the mining side as well as the exploration side.
2: Mm-hmm. And we should be getting some drill results. Uh, I think the company maybe has its own lab facility. It has. it has
0: its own lab. It's a, you know, a state-of-the-art fire assay lab in Nandi, which is 20 minutes from site. It's right next to the international airport. Fiji has been kind of locked down. Uh, you know, they're, they're very sensitive about uh, pandemics and stuff. Right. So it's not like tourists are coming in right now, but uh, it is a major international hub. Uh, the lab uh, can turn around assays usually within about three or four days. So that's a that's a very good outcome. It's you know means that uh, we don't have the delays, for example, like other companies. Right now, uh, the, the company is drilling right now. They anticipate drilling through the r- remainder of this year. And I think at this point, you can see uh, over the past few months here, we've had a nice steady stream of news. Uh, we've had, I think, three res- uh, news releases in the past eight weeks on drill
2: results, and I expect that to continue. Good, excellent. Well, it certainly is an exciting story. So I, I guess it's just watch drill results. I, I have an yep. idea that a lot of people don't really aren't really making the connection between a near-term production situation and one that has something much bigger potentially in the future. And it, in my mind, if know, the the really enormous or the very strong, robust economics with what they have, and then understand that there's a potential for something X number of times larger than that, then I think people would start to see the, the potential value in this, in this uh, play. I mean, the dollar share, 156 million market cap, you know, it's, it's certainly not overpriced in my view. Uh, but, but then that's my view. And I'm not unbiased. I own the shares. It's a recommendation in my newsletter. And uh, of course, a sponsor of this show. But I, I want to, any, any parting comments? Well, okay.
0: I, I think that actually is a very good point. Um, If you look at the results that we have in our last news release and then look at the diagram that goes with, you can see the block model, and you can see that we're well below the block model, okay? One of the things about this deposit is if you look at the ounces it delivers every vertical meter, it's around 2,500 ounces per vertical meter, okay? Well, I would expect that kind of ounce inventory to be delivered in the future. Okay, the fact that we've drilled this down, you know, a few hundred meters below the existing resource tells me there's a lot more gold to be found there. Okay, so immediately underneath Tuvatu, yes, this thing will grow. If we find gold up at Banana Creek and in between, this thing could be multiples of the current size. So, yes, it is an exploration story, but you also have the development going now. So we'll see a a mine actually start around the
2: existing resource. And is there any uh, target date for that? I know it's always
0: difficult. I said, they, Again, I think once the company has all of their ducks in a row, you know, COVID is a, a complication, trying to get people in and out of sight. You know, the engineers are working remotely. You know, a lot of this, you know, we'll call it the conceptual work around the engineering stuff is being done off-site. Sure. And it's, it's, uh, it, it's an interesting time. But they will get all of this work done. And I think that uh, probably by September, I think they'll be in a position where they can start talking about the size and scope of this uh, planned trial mine.
2: Yeah. Should I should add, I think it's important to note that uh, the CEO and founder of this company, Wally Burkroff, has had a remarkable track record in history in the past. I think there's at least three mining projects that he brought towards production, sold them off, and made his shareholders a ton of money. And the way I see this thing, it's possible this could be uh, the biggest of all for Wally. I sure hope so. exactly right. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah, yeah, that I potential, I think, if, you know, the things we just talked about come to fruition. So it really is exciting. Thank you so much, Quentin, for being with us again and giving us this update, and uh, we'll look to keep up with it in the future. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this segment, uh, but don't go away because Alistair McLeod is going to be with me, and we come back from the break. He's going to talk about the similarities between what the Federal Reserve finds itself in and that of John Law in the Mississippi bubble. Uh, very important concept. Alistair sees no way out for the Fed, any, and he will also tell you why more than ever it's important to own gold and silver at this time. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod.
4: One Metals is focused on high grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji.
5: Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization including a 3.6 meter intercept grading 20.6 grams per ton gold and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney.
1: Welcome back to
2: Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Alistair McLeod. He's here today to discuss his articles, um, well, the July 22nd article, uh, and time permitting, perhaps, we can get into the most recent one, the July 29th article. Alistair uh, is uh, goldmoney.com. You can read his articles every Thursday. They're published there. And I really think if you're a serious investor, you do want to avail yourself to his insights because I think they're very valuable. And one of those we want to talk to him about today, and uh, that occurred and he talked about in July on his July 22nd article, he contrasted the current U.S. stock market bubble to that of the uh, 1929-1932 period. But then he concluded that because the dollar is no longer backed by gold, the most appropriate analog to compare America's current monetary pathology is the French livre, which was destroyed in an attempt to maintain outrageously overvalued shares of the Mississippi Company. In fact, Alistair is so sure of the similarity of America's situation to that of France back in around 1720 that he stated in his uh, July 22nd missive, and I quote, we can now begin to see how markets and monetary events are likely to develop in the coming months, end of quote. Well, listeners might do well to remember the name Richard Cantillon because uh, he could foresee the unfortunate implosion of the Mississippi bubble, and he profited greatly from that insight. And uh, Alistair, I think, might have uh, some similar insights into what, at least if he's right about the current situation, as Richard Cantillon had then. And so I'm just hopeful that Alistair may be able to help this show live up to its name, turning hard times into good times. So, no pressure, Alistair, but thank you so much for being back with us today. That's my pleasure, Jay. <laughs> I mean, you're here for a reason, and you're here, you know, with, with absolute guarantee that you're going to make all of my listeners rich. Of course not, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we do value your insights, because I think they're very, they, they, they are very valuable, and I, I, I believe in them. That's why I like to have you on the show so often. Um, you note in your introduction to your July 22nd article and I quote once again you say obviously the financial asset bubble will burst by rising interest rates the consequences of rising prices for consumers and ins- essentials first of all you know we're being assured by by our by our smart people all the smart people in the media and by Federal Reserve and all these people that these price rises are really nothing to be worried about you know we've got certain certain situations uh that are sort of one-off situations we got covid we've got uh, supply shortages and so forth um but tell us why they're wrong why why it is more serious than what they're letting on
6: well i think um i could sum it up in one very short phrase and that is vested interest i mean anybody um who's unfortunate enough to be running monetary policy in these times i think has to uh, believe, or at least say, that um, the problems that we face and they face as policy planners are temporary. <laughs> that's, mm. that's that's effectively where they are. Um, mm. But um, you know, anyone with an ounce of common sense can see that they're not temporary. I mean, uh, we have had uh, the most severe uh, knock on the economy. Now, um, you know, if you're a lawyer in in a in a you know in a nice big city like new york or washington or i don't know los angeles or something like that um or an accountant i mean these professionals continue to um earn good money because Mm -hmm. they are if you like required come hell or high water but if on the other hand you own a corner shop in some town in the midwest i mean you know you have had a hell of a hard time and you may indeed have been driven out of business and this is the difference um you know if you look at uh, at the media the mainstream media basically target their advertising their readers are um essentially the middle classes and uh-huh. um, these are the guys who have survived through this so you get this impression looking at mainstream media that actually everything's all right when covid's over um uh-huh. You know we'll be off to the races again and uh, you know we can have our holidays and um and all the rest of it but mm-hmm. actually the underlying situation is not nearly like that at all and they ignore the disruption to um uh, the supply chains which mm-hmm. uh, if you talk to any of the logistics experts they say there's not a cat in hell's chance of this being sorted out this year sometime mm-hmm. next year maybe
3: mm-hmm.
6: um, and this is at a time when everybody runs um you know on just-in-time inventories and uh, stock so um you know this is why prices are going up and i haven't even mentioned what's happened to commodity prices i mean you look mm-hmm. at commodity prices they've almost doubled from mm-hmm. the moment the fed turned around and said right, we're going to print 120 billion a month to support asset prices. Uh, we're going to uh, reduce interest rates from one and a half percent down to zero. Um, and uh, what happened? The commodity complex took off. Oil actually from April uh, 2020 from a, went from a negative figure. <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, we're now looking, I, I mean, I haven't seen it today, but we're looking about 70 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. So, right. You know, these are very serious costs imposed on businesses. Now, businesses either uh, manage to raise their prices or they just shut shop. And that is really the reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. And it means that quite a lot of production is going to go out. I mean, you know, people have called this stagflation in the past, a combination of inflation and, um, you know, a sort of recession, as it were, or stagnation. But, I mean, if you look at, um, you know, the, the people who uh, haven't gone back to work, very often through their choice, admittedly having got out of the habit of going going to work perhaps, um, you know, they're their their spending is is concentrating on essentials so you will see inflation um price inflation uh, hitting particularly food prices and the essentials in life like energy do you know to keep warm and and so on or keep cold in the summer all this you know these are the these are the prices that are going to go up and just because the fed if you like has sort of Taken out these volatile components out of its consideration doesn't mean to say that they've banned inflation. What they've mm-hmm. done is they've just turned a blind eye to it. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a very serious situation. Where it's not going to go away. It is not a temporary feature. It is not transient. So I think that's the answer to your question. There's a yeah. lot of whistling and hoping rather than reality.
2: Whistling and hoping, and it seems as though uh, most people don't make the connection between the creation of money out of thin air, the massive increase in the monetary aggregates and prices, now they rather like it when the equity markets continue to rise and the bond markets are strong. Uh, And as long as they have that kind of inflation, they're happy, but they don't quite see the reason why you have to have bad kind of inflation is what they look at, bad inflation, consumer inflation, which is really what we're seeing now, isn't it? We're seeing a, a return to consumer inflation um, and I'm guessing that's at least in part because a lot of those smarter investors that see the handwriting on the wall are starting to buy commodities. You know, the Ray Dalios of this world is openly talking. I'm sure other commodity, uh, other uh, hedge fund guys are talking about that sort of thing. So is this, so what's what's driving it now? Because we've had this massive money creation for, you know, for decades. And we've, we've not, you know, admittedly we've seen more inflation than, than what um, the government Talks about you and I have talked about them in the past, but we haven't seen, and since the nineteen seventies, any really, really serious uh, inflation in the standard of living for people. I mean, I think it's more serious than they let on. But why now are we really seeing this commodity inflation?
6: Well, I, the the first thing I would say is that um, we have been seeing inflation all along. It's just mm-hmm. it hasn't been recorded in the official s- statistics. Mm-hmm. And I think you've had John Williams on your show. Oh um, yes, absolutely, in the past. And uh, you know, he he basically uses the same uh, method uh, of calculation. Back in was it nineteen eighty when they started introducing uh, methods of um if you like damping down uh, statistical inflation so um you know and and on his analysis he i mean he's now saying it's 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 well over 10 percent um mm-hmm. and uh you know he's been consistently saying since the last crisis the lehman crisis mm-hmm. apart from the year afterwards that in that pricing prices have been rising uh, on an unadjusted basis by anything between five and ten percent ever since then and we've had this confirmed with the chapwood index before that was shut down by covid uh-huh. um and i mean the last chapwood i saw it, we were looking just over ten percent and this was 2019 mm-hmm. and that's an arithmetic average of of uh, the 50 cities which they recorded um, uh, prices for 500 commonly bought uh, goods and services. So, um, you know, the the the, the idea that uh, um, in, you know prices are rising at two percent. I mean, it's almost like a gold sought figure, if you like, on a spreadsheet. Yeah. it is not realistic. And um, if you understand that, then all sorts of other things suddenly start dropping out of the woodwork. Like you ask yourself, okay, if inflation's running, say, at ten percent, has been running at, well, let's 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 be kind. Let's say it's been running at an average of seven percent for the last mm-hmm. ten years. Then uh, what has been the rate of growth? Hold on a minute. We've been in a, in a recession all that time because mm-hmm. it's been negative adjusted for this. I'm just, I'm not saying that this is the way you should calculate it, but this is the way, uh, you know, the method, if you like, in which government st- uh, statisticians use. Mm-hmm. What they're in effect doing is they're corrupting the figures to keep the show on the road. Mm-hmm. And we now have a situation, and this is why the John Law thing, I think, is... is, mm-hmm. is uh, we now have a situation where that is not enough. What they have had to do is to uh, print money, if you like, in other words... Issue issue cash currency mm-hmm. through the banking system to the pension funds and the insurance funds to um, you know uh, in return for which um, the Fed buys uh, uh, government uh, and agency stock uh, and uh, um, the proceeds are spent on more risky assets which are corporate debentures or corporate loans, you've got, um, uh, uh, you know, that and equities. And, you know, the reason equity markets are where they are is because there is 120 billion a month being pumped into Mm -hmm. uh, into these markets. Now, guess what? That's exactly what John Law was doing 300 years ago. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. why Comparison is so apt, but this mm-hmm. time it's on a global basis, not just in France. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I mean, the point about France is that um, you know the, the currency collapsed. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the the company, the, the you know the, the, his his uh, import export business, which we know as the Mississippi Venture, continued to trade, and in fact, mm-hmm. the British finally um, trucked them out of India about 50, 50 years later. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the currency, the livre, didn't last. Uh, through uh, 1720. I mean on the foreign mm-hmm. exchanges in London and Amsterdam, mm-hmm. uh, they were completely worthless by um, the, by that October, I think by that September. Mm-hmm. So, so what they did, what the uh, French bank did,
2: was it issued currency to buy the uh, to buy the Mississippi company shares holding them up. Uh, would you say the analogy then, the comparison in the U.S. now and other central banks as well, is the U.S. Uh, the Fed has created money they're buying you know, QE. Um, they're using QE to buy treasuries, to buy other uh, instruments to keep the rates from uh, from rising,
6: right? Absolutely. I mean, and and I, I can remember seeing Alan Greenspan on television way back at the, you know, sort of in the very early um, noughties and, uh, Saying that um, you know it was, it was very important that uh, stock markets were um, you know were rising and healthy because that uh, engendered an awful lot of confidence in the economy, and if you create wealth uh, through rising asset um, uh, prices, then. Um, you know everything is a lot more stable and you find that you know people with portfolios will you know they end up spending money and um, keeping the the economy you know in a healthy condition so it has been fed policy from greenspan's time mm-hmm. basically to ensure that markets are in a healthy condition if i can if i if, if i yeah. can put it that way so you know this is not this is nothing new what we're seeing is the tail end of a policy which is um, if you like uh, uh, an extension of Keynesianism and g- guess what I mean if you read uh, John Law's um, you know sort of original thesis it's Keynesian to the core this mm-hmm. is sort of that. so you know we've gone we've gone sort of I suppose 200 years because Keynes was about 100 years ago and he was sort of Doing his first of his major major um, uh, uh, books, um, two hundred years later, you know John Law happens again. He just happens to be called called John Maynard Keynes, and yeah, yeah. You know, we're living we're living with the consequences now, and and we're we're seeing the destruction that uh, was wrought on the French economy. Uh, by uh, the production of unsound money for whatever purpose. And it so happens that it's, we've ended up with exactly the same purpose that John Law originally you know, <laughs> set out to do. Now, he had to do it because uh, the way he promoted um, his his ventures was to do it in uh, issue shares in partly paid form, you know, like 10% mm-hmm. down and the ah. other <laughs> 90% in easy payments. But, of course, yeah. the problem was that um, having made various issues, Uh, there came a point where calls were due. And of course people couldn't afford the calls. They'd made an Mm -hmm. awful lot of money, um, Mm -hmm. but they couldn't afford the calls. So they were selling shares in the market. So John John Law was in the market, printing money to buy them up. Mm -hmm. Now, that was the condition that he created for himself in those days. Uh, mm-hmm. The situation now is not quite like that, but the effect is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, absolutely. But it is global and therefore considerably more dangerous. Well,
2: there is a lot of margin debt now, though, Alistair. I saw we hit new highs for margin debt, so there is there is some some parallels perhaps in that regard too. But in any event, so what? So here we have you note in your article that, that the Fed is going to have to create more and more faster and faster. Essentially, it's going to have to ramp up its QE, and I guess that's because the idea is that there's going to be pressure on the debt markets with inflation rising as it is. And so that's going to mean that they're going to have to buy, they're going to have to ramp up QE more than $120 billion a month or whatever it is now, and they're, or and or uh, put the plunge protection team, the stabilization fund, in motion to buy up the stocks, to buy, you know, essentially the Fed or the government buying stocks or bonds or whatever, just going out and supporting the market by direct purchase of those items, right? And if that's, uh, I mean, if that's the possibility, tell us why that won't work. Well, um, it
6: won't work. Eventually. Yeah, I mean, uh, if I can sort of just take a step back and address your last point. um, Sure. I mean the Bank of Japan are already doing what you would uh-huh. just say. Yeah. Uh, and the way you do it is you go along to um, you know, one of the large ETF um, providers and say, right, you know, we're just gonna chuck money into your ETF, go out and buy stocks. <laughs> you know, so you know, it just gets spread across the whole S and P, for example, you know, sort of an index tracking um uh, S and P BTF. So I mean you know BlackRock are, are there ready and waiting and I'm I'm sure they've already been commissioned to do this we just haven't, haven't actually seen it happen quite yet but this this is this is definitely on the lines uh, the, the the problem that they then face is that um, with um, uh, prices continuing to rise unless the fed actually uh, um uh, uh raises interest rates then the markets will raise interest rates against them now Uh, We haven't seen uh, a situation for a long time where a central bank is out of control of of interest rates. But believe you me, it happens. And it can happen and it will happen again. And the situation will come about simply because there is something like 31 trillion of foreign money invested in um, uh, uh, US financial assets, including treasuries, uh, equities. And I think there's about eight billion or something no it's no it's less than that it's six six and a half billion in 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 deposit money so Mm -hmm. you know it's it's basically foreigners will look at uh what's happening in america what's happening to the dollar and they will vote with their feet um uh, you know about holding dollars so Mm -hmm. On that basis, I think you'll find that uh, it, the first pressures will probably show themselves um, in in the foreign exchanges. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the pressures have already begun to be seen in commodity prices. That is going to continue and could well accelerate as well. Um, and under those circumstances, what does the Fed do? I mean, if the Fed doesn't raise interest rates, it's killing the dollar. Um, if it raises interest rates, it's killing equity markets, um, you know, and, 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 and uh, bond markets. So, um, you know, they're really between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. And the only way out of it is not for them to announce tapering, you know, which is the anti-inflation, the sensible mm-hmm. thing to do, but to step up their purchases in the market to support the market just as john law did back in february march and april 1720.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so it's a that's, that's not not no easy no easy option for the fed at this stage and i guess if the dollar starts to lose its value then foreigners that are owning american securities are starting to see losses that occur there uh in the in the real value from their perspective of, of stocks or whatever else they're buying and that would also then sort of trigger a a snowball effect of selling, I would think.
6: Yes, that's right. And, of course, we must not forget that uh, American uh, uh, residents also own foreign stocks. Now, Mm -hmm. when the U.S. market starts tanking, they're going to start selling foreign stocks. So foreigners you know, whether they're, they're foreign to America or whether they're Americans operating in foreign markets uh, are going to be, uh, are going to turn sellers. And, um, you know, the whole lot will, will, will uh, go down, I'm afraid.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, just with a couple of minutes left here yet, Alistair, uh, maybe a minute or so, just uh, talk briefly about Richard Cantillon. He saw this coming in, uh, in, in France uh, with the Mississippi bubble. Are, are you suggesting that people that are that have this foresight now might be able to come out of this this situation in much better shape than if they're if they're not aware of it?
6: Well, I think that's the important thing. I mean, you were saying um, you, know, you, you you were joking at the start of this that uh, <laughs> you know, the idea was to make lots and lots of money, but actually, um, the idea I think is to protect as much as one can mm-hmm. uh, what one has. So. Um you know, on that basis, I think we need to understand the dynamics that are actually driving these markets, and uh, the more you look at them, the more concerned you should be. And I think this cantillon uh, comparison I think is 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 a very, very good starting point to try and understand what might happen.
2: Yeah, no doubt and he uh, I'm sure some people thought he was crazy because he was selling those Miss- those rising Mississippi uh, shares uh, at a time when, you know, people were saying, what are you, what are you, crazy? What are you, you make really having a party here? And it's just like now, try to try to step out of the equity markets. And it's hard to do that because it, it, they just keep going up. The Fed keeps buying, uh, supporting the markets. And it's, uh, it's really a difficult thing. But I think we do need to try to understand what's going on underneath. And for that, I want to thank you, Alistair, for being with us once again to help us ferret this out because it's um, you know it's it's not what you commonly hear in the mainstream media and uh, that's why you're so valuable to us so thank you so much for being with us once again
6: that's my pleasure Jay
2: all righty well we'll look to do it again sometime soon well folks that is it for this week Uh, next week I'm going to have Richard Mayberry with me He's the author of Richard Mayberry's early warning report and Dr. Quentin Henning will be back as well to talk about Novo Resources, uh, which I believe is succeeding towards optimizing its gold production from its Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Australia. So until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
6: NV Gold Corporation, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in Nevada with an
3: aggressive exploration season ahead in 2021, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors, a globally recognized technical
6: team, report coverage from industry gold experts, and a strong treasury. Visit NVGold Gold corp.com to learn more on this exciting story.